So this morning I was listening to a radio show and it was a little about something that was I was wondering about and it the topic was who hurt you and I don't know that that really struck me cuz this guy came on that's what it was this guy came on and he was saying how his dad years ago threw his mother out of a third floor window and because he looked like his dad his mother mentally and emotionally abused him all his life so what he did he grew up he's a man and he just abused one woman after another for money for sex for whatever he didn't say physical abuse but you know fill in the blank lines and he said and he did not realize because of what he had experienced as a younger man you know um of his daddy doing that to his mom and then him being abused by his mom he said but until he realized that after all these years his parents are just being able to talk so that made him start doing the inner work to figure out why he had been so abusive to women for so long and the fact that women allowed him to abuse them like this so it got me thinking and i started thinking like okay so love is not real until it's shared it's a 50-50 project you you know what what needs to be reciprocated and so he said that all his relationships were that way they were nothing he was i guess the big eye and they were the little you i i guess he treated them almost like rats or maybe he didn't even see them as being human but um that was interesting you know because i know they always say hurt people hurt people and you know but i i think the other side of the coin is if you've been hurt how are you going to respond to that hurt because i think what was happening with this guy he was responding to that hurt now some people can become total people of service from the hurt but it's all about how you respond to it um and are you and so he realized that as his parents would have found some level of peace that he had to start working on himself and he had to first, i guess first identify and acknowledge that he had been abusive to so many women over his span of his life and that he had to do something right or do something better and when he saw the healing begin with his parents it made him become aware of what he need to do. So I think it's you know the hurt people hurt people thing is always been two side to me but it's it's now I'm seeing it in this way is how you're going to respond. You know, I'm um dealing with a younger person and I see that this thing uh this attachment of irrationality 
connects to them at a very young age. And if nobody pulled their coat, I guess they just continue into this behavior. And then I was asked by someone this morning, because they had read an article and it was saying that they are finding that a lot of people in maybe their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, are being in the hospital, not just COVID-related, and they're alone. Nobody's visiting them or anything. You know, it's like people have cut them off. And this article was explained, it was a lot of these people that, I guess, was the hurt people, they were players or whatever you want to call them, I don't know what you call them, because I don't even want that in my vocabulary. But I think these people had lived, because this was this, this brought back a reflection. Um, a family member was in the hospital and had surgery. And there, it, was a, it was a shared room. And there was this guy in the room. He had had surgery on his back. And... After about two days, I don't know what happened with his insurance after the surgery, but it was like the insurance is not going to cover anything else. This was like the day before. So he had to leave before like, I guess, 11 or 12 o'clock, the next cutoff day. So they came and delivered the message. But in the meantime... Um, a a woman came to see him, only one person in those two days she came to see him. And it was really strange because she stood at the door of the hospital room with her arms folded uh, across her chest. And she looked at him and she said, hey. That's all she said was, hey. And he said, hey. And at first, I, I, inappropriate laughter kicked in. I thought it was funny. But in hindsight, moving forward and with the passing of time, I realized that there was some unresolved issues. And there was a part of her that felt obligated to go and see him but there was a part of her that was reluctant. You Now, as I think about it, and I can really see it, it with an open mind and being mindfulness that this was a hurt woman, and I can't say she was scorned, I don't know all that, but there was something that was really, really deep that was going on between her and this man. So the next day he had to leave. And that's when I realized it, this may, maybe this woman was justified in her behavior because he had to call for a taxi cab. All the life that he'd probably lived, you could find not one friend not one person that would come pick you up from the hospital. Now, I noticed you had been there for 48 hours, and she was the only one that came. And it was it was two-sided. I really need to be here, but not really. 
That's how her projection was. But he, it was a very lonely, and I remember my mom used to always say it, you know, when you get down and out or sick, you might not have a person to hand you a glass of water. And that's kind of where this is going right now because I understand hurt people hurt people. I just, I still have stuff in reserve about that because I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've known some people that suffered some really, really terrible things and they turned out okay. And the whole thing is, is to not invest in that stuff anymore. Just keep investing in all that foolishness. I mean, because at the end of the day is you get older and then you find out there's no one there. And he was an older man. And the thought that he had to go home and he told us, he said, oh, I live alone. He had to go home alone with a back surgery. Ugh. Just the thought of it just gets stuck in my craw just thinking about it. But we don't know. We don't know the whole story. And maybe he was a different person at one time. And maybe he was aggressive, but he was very humbled in my eyesight. So I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I, I have other thoughts about this as well. So, but for now, I just want to end it with saying, Graham, this. And if you want to find out more about my world, you can go to Grammarly Depot, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y, D-E-P-O-T dot com. Thank you. Living ageless and numbing. You know, I wanted to talk about this today because... I didn't know that actually exists, that you could literally numb yourself. Um, and this was a long, long time ago. Uh, I was on jury duty when I first realized this could actually happen. And I was on jury duty for a month. And as they were picking everybody, because, of course, I got picked the very first day, okay, and they were picking everybody. And I noticed every time people had dealt with meat, like butchers and stuff, they didn't accept them. And they had, like, a couple of guys, every illness that they asked about people having, including diabetes, high blood pressure, he stood up and said he had it. He was trying to get out. But anyhow, but I noticed like there was like two butchers and he told them, you know, they, they weren't going to be good for the case. So I'm like, OK, this is getting real strange. So we went into court and everything started happening. Of course, we had a lady who worked graveyard shift, so she kept falling asleep and snoring. So we kept having to you know, be dismissed. So that kind of dragged things out for another two weeks. And then we had another guy, he would come in like he was a celebrity in the courthouse with his cape on, and he would always come like 10 or 15 minutes late. Well, the judge really just accepted that every morning. But hey, at the end of the 
the trial, uh, the case and all, he, he was given another 30 days for contempt of court because he made everybody wait. So that was kind of that. But all this was still very new to me. So we went on this trial, and it was very, very intense, very, very intense. And it was, it wasn't a murder, but it was an accident that left a human being dismantled. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I can still remember what that was like because we had to look at pictures, not of the person's body, but where he it all happened. It was for two weeks. We just have to keep looking at these pictures and stuff. And so... I was, I had to numb myself out in some way. I didn't realize it, but I did. And so, you know, still doing the normal things, coming home, cooking, taking care of the family, and doing all these good things. And it was just overwhelming because it was like that was the only part of my life. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. You know, because that's not what you do about jury duty. You don't discuss things with other people. And so at the end of everything, when we was kept for deposition and all one night, you know, we had formed a wonderful team. We had bookkeepers. We had accountant. We had everybody. And I was good at being analytical. It's just what I do sometimes to a fault, I'm going to just be honest. So it was really, really good, and it worked out really well, but we had to come up with a large sum of money to give the wife and two children because she was a stay-at-home wife. He had a very good job paying a lot of money, so we had to come up. As a matter of fact, um, our decision wound up being news headlines, but that was hard very hard. So the two weeks finally end, and I'm like, oh, I can breathe. So then we were sent back again to the jury pool. And being in a pool again, I wasn't there a good hour before I was picked for another case. And it lasted another two weeks. Well, it was two guys had a fight, and one jumped out the window or something like that. And hurt himself or broke his leg or whatever. I don't know what really, I don't really remember, but I know for two weeks, again, here I was sitting here looking at these pictures and hearing all this information over and over. And and I, at, some, at some point, I think it became some type of avoidance. I, I don't know if that's what happened because I, I couldn't discuss it with anybody. I couldn't I had to come home and just be normal, uh, what I would think would be normal. But I looked at myself in a, in a mirror one day, and I, to myself, I looked like a raccoon. I had black bags under my eyes in that month because I thought after I finished the first case, whew, I could make it. But when I tell you not a good hour before I was back on another case for two weeks, and I'm, when I tell you, I think I hit zombie land. I was just so darn numb. Numb. It was, I, it was, I can't even, ex just to get up and get dressed to go back the next day. It, it, it was almost like I just had to hum, 
um, you know, just to make it to the next. And I remember when I, I was in corporate America, and I remember when I went back to work, my best friend said, you've been numbing yourself. She said, you look so different. And it was like numbing. What do you mean numbing? She said, I guess that's how you were able to deal with all the information and so much negativity. You just numbed yourself. You found a way to avoid, you know, every all those details, really. And I guess it was because maybe that was how I was able to sleep at night without having insomnia. I had to be numbed or somehow find a way to distract myself through some strangeness. I don't know. I mean, what did I do? I don't really remember. All I know is that was the first time somebody connect the word numbing with me and a part of my life. And then I realized that I think that happens in people's lives more than they want to lead on to. Um, you know, it, it just translates as, I guess, to go along, to get along. I, I don't really know what it is, but I do remember that was the first time that I heard that word. And numbing, I always thought numbing was like, um, you know, getting stitches and they, they stick a needle in you so you don't feel the pain. But I guess it is all the same because it was like somebody had stuck a needle in me. And I did not, because, I mean, that first case, we had to look at this person's wife sitting up here still trying to grieve. And we had to make the big decision so that this woman could still provide for her two children. Because at the end of the day, she had to continue being strong. This man had 401Ks and all. He had taken care of his business and he had taken care of his family. So it was a big, big, big decision that had to be made. So I just want to say that because I don't know why I'm having these reflections. I don't, I think what it is, I've decided to not carry the a lot of the baggage into 2021 because really I want to see 2020 just get out of here. It, it brought extra baggage. So if we were carrying burdens already and then 2020 came and then we had some more added on, a person can only take so much. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You can only take so much. You know, the pain. And, and the, the, what I realized in that situation, people can see the pain in your eyes. They can see the light dimming behind your eyes. And they know the narrative without you even telling it. So that's the, that's the, um, the strange thing about it. What you think you're hiding is what you're exposing more than anything. I thought I was being a big deal. You know, we made the headlines, so, you know, for our decision. So, but I was still looking like I was, I lost weight. I mean, you know, when I tell you, when I became honest with myself, I could actually see what they could see. So I'm going to just leave you with this about living ageless and numbing. And, you know, those things as we mature, we have to just let those, 
burdens go and all those fears because the fear of looking at yet another picture in court that was a whole nother a whole nother conversation for another day so i would like to leave you saying gram this and if you get a chance and you want to come into my world step into my space Come to Grammarly Depot, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y-D-E-P-O-T dot com. Living ageless in obstacles. Um, thought about that a lot. So are obstacles bigger as we mature? Or is it the fact that we have more wisdom to measure up and probably handle it better. I don't know. Uh, I don't know all the answers, but I was just thinking um, earlier about um, my favorite of all times love story is Django with Jamie Foxx and Kerry Washington. Okay, I should know that. But anyhow, um, that is my favorite. I think about that movie because when it first came out, I don't know what it was, but I had some strange fear about watching that movie. And I think, I think it was maybe three or four years before I actually pulled myself to watch it. But one particular day, I saw an ex ex excerpt from the movie and I was like maybe it's just time to watch it okay so before I go any further there was a lot of violence and stuff in it but at the end I really looked at it and it was the epitome of a love story there were slaves and they decided to have their freedom. They decided to overcome oppression. If it took them to 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 have a union and just run, and and they were caught. And Jamie Fox, the tenacity of that brother. I mean, the things he went through to get back to his wife. Why? Because he held himself accountable. He dropped that ego. Because if I didn't decide for us to run, maybe we wouldn't have got caught. And that did happen. And the horrible things that went on, to just see the amount of abuse that went on. I mean, that movie was so well done. But the the love that he had for that wife, Hilde, I think they named her Brunhilde, but she wound up being, and what really, really was even worse, because the suffering that she had to go through, he saw that as so much more because it was his decision for them to run. And he went through a lot of abuse. But he told this man, he said, they made her into a comfort girl. So he knew that 
she was just being mentally, emotionally, and sexually abused over and over. And he didn't know what he was going to go and find. He didn't know what condition she would be in, but he still, he went on a journey and at, at all cost, he meant he was going to get back to her. When I think about that movie, I think about the love that he had for his wife, but I actually saw certain intentions. His intention was to get his wife back, and he did that. I loved that movie. I looked at it about three times since, but every time I watch it, I get to see, because even uh, Leonardo da Vinci, he... I think that's his name, but he was really good in that movie. And I did. I thought at first when I would hear about it, I said, well, maybe it was a casting mistake. But then after I watched the movie and I saw Quentin Tarantino, I mean, that movie was just brilliant because I did not expect to see that it was going to be a love story. And I truly believe that Love is not real until it's shared. And that movie, that movie showed that from beginning to end. Because he never, he never got distracted, not one minute. He had one thing on his mind. He was going to go and get his wife. And when he... at Coming to the end, she was so used to being abused, she was allowing herself to become conditioned to the abuse of these men, these transients or whatever they were. They, they came and they, you know, just, it was, and when they laid her in this womb and she was just so used to, because her heart was so closed off and her mind and she was just lying there and because she was just expecting it to all happen over and over. And he came. And I remember the first time she saw him. I love this scene where she saw him for the first time and she just passed out. I mean, that was such a beautiful connection between the two of them. So, but I'm thinking about obstacles. And if you ever look at the movie and you see the obstacles this man had, this man had every obstacle there was. But it was like once he set his intention to get his wife, Quentin Tarantino appeared. It, so it really drives the idea of setting intentions, but having a desire behind that intention. It's what really moves it forward. And his desire was to be reunited with his wife and that they could share that love because he knew one thing on, on top of everything else, it was real because they shared it. And I just love that movie. But I, I, I say it all that to say this is, if there's something we want in life bad enough, no obstacle can stop that. There is not an obstacle that can stop that. If you set that intention and you release or work through those fears and 
accept the consequences of those fears because sometimes your fears can just literally stop you or paralyze you from getting from point A to point B. And we just sometimes just allow things to just go over our head or we distract ourselves with other things because that way, if we distract ourselves with other things, we don't have to deal with the real thing. And so as the obstacles just stack up, if you're determined enough, you can make it through that. I truly believe that. So I like to tell that to young kids. You know, a lot of times they, I can't do that. No. But if you want it bad enough and you set those intentions and you have a desire, he had a whole plan. He wanted to get back to his wife of what he did. But his desire was to love that woman again. And he put that out there like that. And Everything about it just worked. It just all connected. But if you have fears, you must work through those fears. You have to accept the consequences of those fears because sometimes those fears can stop a lot of things from actually happening in your life. And then once you do that, you can replace that with empowerment. You you can have these empowerment beliefs that actually become like a blueprint for other people because that's what this is about, to know our mission and know our purpose in life. And a lot of people are being faced with obstacles right now. Like on that movie, um, Brother Well Thou Obstacles. Instead of obstacle, they used to say obstacles. But anyhow, obstacles. But we can move past it. It's not impossible. You know, but you have to first of all want it and be true with yourself that you want it. That movie is so good. I would suggest to anybody to go watch that movie, Django, and just really watch it and see. And at the very end, when you really knew it was a love story, when they were leaving after everything went down, the the tower fell, uh, the plantation burned up. And when they were on their horses, uh, Jamie Foxx and Carrie Washington, and when they were riding away, before they were riding away, she did one thing. She pulled a rifle out. She was behind him, and she was letting him know, I got your back. Why? Because he had her back. And that was the love story. So it's Graham this and if you want to know a little bit more about her, go to Grammarly Depot, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y-D-E-P-O-T dot com. Thank you.